Hello, this is the Hunter Street Chronicle, and I'm Colin Chapika. Welcome back, everybody. I am very sorry for not getting one of these out last week. Um, I've just been feeling particularly existentially tired and emotionally drained and a general vague sense of drowsiness and sluggishness that I think has just been accumulated from the weather going up and down. And with all the crazy shit that's been going on in the world, I just couldn't get myself up to thinking and acting and being motivated last week. So I took it off, and I am now back again, and everything's okay, okay, and I'm fine, and hopefully you guys are too. I know the weather's been crazy. It drives me insane when it's up and down like this. And like I said, I think that's why I've been feeling particularly shitty the last couple of days, is frankly just the humidity I know makes me feel anxious and just generally uncomfortable. But I know when the pressure jumps up and down, I get all congested, and you can still hear a bit of the dryness in my head, in my head voice, and I'm all a little bit plugged up in my nose, but we're going to keep rolling and hopefully have some fun with this one. Well, a lot of crazy shit has gone down in the couple of weeks that I've been off, um, and I could go into details all about the crazy tragedies, but frankly, I'm going to do my best to try and stay away from that. The only one I want to talk about is what happened in France last week, um, where some fucking asshole took his truck through a crowd and killed 81 people on Bastille Day, which I've since learned is a French national day, so it's pretty much just like the 4th of July weekend for the United States or Canada Day for us here. Um, they're trying to label it as a terrorist attack, and I agree only because it's just something that has caused a lot of fear. Um, the authorities are looking for any possible connection to some sort of extremist group. Um, this guy has a name that it, we see in the media is often associated with extremism, which is just bullshit, and it, it's frankly hilarious to see what they're purporting about what he was Googling about the recent terrorist attacks in Orlando and and the hilarious uh, connection that apparently, because he was starting to grow out of beard, that was possibly a good sign of evidence that he has a connection to some extremist militant group probably ISIS, but I think that's just bullshit. It's ridiculous that we're digging so hard to perpetually put out the idea that we are surrounded by sleeper cell agents who at any point will pull out a gun and start shooting up a crowd or will take their truck like this fucker did and drive through a crowd of people. And frankly, regardless if he's connected or not, he is a terrible, terrible person and took away 81 lives and let's look at it for what it is it's something that should never happen again it's something disgusting it seems so fictional like almost out of grand theft auto and it's terrifying to know it's reality and my thoughts go out for all the people who were involved or knew anybody involved because it's just a terrifying idea to not feel safe in your own streets and just to lighten up the pace a little bit, obviously something I'm super excited about that's been ravaging people's minds and brains and cell phones and data bills for the last couple weeks is Pokemon Go, which has only just officially been released in Canada a couple days ago, but frankly, it is the best thing 
ever. It's just such an amazing application for all ages and it was released at the perfect time, I think, marketing-wise to really jump on a generational gap. Because I last time I played with Pokemon probably was about at least five years ago. So it's hilarious to see something that was laughable go overnight to the most popular thing in the world once again. I think it's really cool that it's forcing a reconnection to nature. I was trying to sit here and play it without going out or doing anything thing and I didn't have much luck. I didn't get anything done because I actually had to get off my, up off my ass and go outside and go walk around and see things, which is super cool. I know here in Peterborough there's a super strong community behind Pokemon Go. I was out for a walk the other night and uh, down by Millennium Park 24-7 there was at least 30 people all just sitting on the grass. It was probably 9 o'clock at night and we were all just trying to catch Pokemon and ran into a bunch of friends and it's a really cool cool app that seems to be bringing a lot of people together in a way that they might not have thought of reconnecting. And it's interesting because I think Nintendo has been trying to force and encourage their their users uh, to be physically active. For instance, the Wii was one of their first innovations in which you had to get up off the couch and move around and actually use your body a little bit to play the game. And frankly, Pokemon has always been a game that has encouraged social interaction from trading the cards to linking up your Game Boy so you can trade Pokemon with your friends and that kind of thing. I just think it's an ex excellent example of the power that we have within communities when we can all rally behind something that we care about, especially something so positive like Pokemon in a game that we all love. I just The videos of people flooding highways to catch rare Pokemon and just completely disrupting traffic. I don't know, it's something, the anarchist in me loves it because it's still, it's reassuring to know that we can organize in great numbers, and that's something that I've thought is lacking due to the interconnectivity of the internet, but it's good to know that we can still see large groups of people mobilized to do something even as fun as light as catching a rare Pokemon. I mean, the headlines coming out about it are really interesting, obviously, the crazy ones about abductions and kidnappings and robberies, it's terrible, and of course, there's shitty people everywhere, but obviously do your research when you read those stories because it turns out a lot of those stories are fake and are just just used to gain a lot of notoriety and attention and frankly there's not a hell of a lot new to be scared of when you're leaving your house you just have a damn good reason to now all right moving right along we're gonna jump into the most consistent segment the word of the day quiet little motel, when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. You have a vacancy? No, oh, we have 12 vacancies. You know this is the first place that looks like it's hiding from the world? I think that we're all in our private traps. Today's word of the day is not very spectacular, it's only four letters long, and it's something that we all know about relatively well, and frankly, we're going to talk about fear today. The world news has been just terrible the last couple of weeks. There's consistent tragedy, horror beyond 
any capacity that I could even imagine. And, and just the disturbing reality is that I can open up my phone on Facebook and watch all of these things as they were videotaped. And it, it, just the mass distribution of content and information surrounding these events has just left me feeling, frankly, defeated. I feel like I've just... I'm not even hitting my head off of a wall. I feel like I'm stuck in a room and I, I'm trying to scream. I, I've just been screaming for months for people to let me out and I've just, I've seen too much, I think, and I don't, I don't feel very motivated to promote positivity. And that really started to get me thinking. Um, it's, it, I felt as if there's a general state of concern and anxiety throughout the population. I mean, anytime something like this happens, it seems like we all just get punched in the stomach or we all fell off of something tall onto our backs and we're trying to catch our breath back. It's, it's chilling. I feel cold, even though it's 45 degrees outside. It doesn't sit well. And when they happen so consistently one after another, I mean, it's only been about a month since Orlando, and that already feels like lifetimes ago. It's, it's, terrifying is the word that keeps, I keep coming back to, and that's why we're talking about fear today. Fear is a human experience, which is universal to all of us. It can be extremely unpleasant, but it definitely is an excellent motivator. To be afraid is to have an insanely almost drug-like full-body experience in which everything around you seems to move slower and all of your thoughts seem to move faster. This sensation uh, probably comes from the release of adrenaline, but it's something that some people actively seek out, um, and there's lots of ways to do that through horror movies or horror video games. Um, it's, it's a really interesting full-fledged body experience um, that, that's some, that is, we can attribute so much of our human success to uh, is this motivator that is fear. And it's just been an asset, frankly, to human evolution. It, the intrinsic fears of, for instance, height, spiders, snakes, or small spaces have kept our ancestors alive and therefore have allowed us to come as far as we are now to, for instance, for me to be talking on a podcast. If my ancestors weren't scared of the potential risks of their unknown, then, then frankly, I wouldn't be here now. It's a hardwired reaction to something that is threatening or challenging, and you can have per basically two responses to fear. You can, you can assume that you can take on the challenge and then you'll fight whatever is threatening you or if that challenge is too much to handle, you will flee. And that's the fight or flight response that we know so well through psychology. And since we've come so far from our critter-fearing ancestors, uh, I just want to take a look at fear and whether or not our experience with it has changed or if it's relatively similar to what our ancestors experienced. Um, and one thing I found really interesting is that before now, back in the day, cave dweller, hunter-gatherers, there was definitely a hell of a lot to be scared of. For instance, thunder, lightning, wild animals, or disease. And I just want to try and throw this idea out that I think we are just frankly scared of the things we don't necessarily understand logically or the unknown. Therefore, 
fear can become a catalyst for applying abstract meaning to the unknown. So for instance, back in the day to try to explain why there was lightning and loud sounds coming from the sky, people would use the, the tale of how the gods were angry or bowling to explain the natural phenomena around them. Fear is still persistent for us. It has manifested in new forms, but our fears and phobias, thanks to psychology, can be challenged and removed with logic, yet the fear module, the, the, the ability to experience fear is still active, and I want to argue probably a little bit less beneficial to us than it was for our ancestors. Due to the logic revolution, the fear module has forced our brain to find anything, any object, event, stimulus, person, whatever, to impose fear onto and therefore induce that fear response. For some, this overassigning of fear has led to a, a, a state of constant stress, something that I suffer from myself, which we know as generalized anxiety disorder. Now, generalized anxiety disorder is one of the hardest mental illnesses to treat. Um, it's, it's really, I think it boils down to its connection to fear. Um, it, anxieties develop over lifetime, and therefore they're potentially reinforced into a stable fear, which, of course, at one point, if I was my ancestors, that would be extremely necessary. Let's, let's imagine a pre-modern hunter finds a food source, but they get clawed by a bear. Um, they will develop a general fear of not just the bear, but the food that they were going to get, the trail they were going to down, going down. All of these, just thinking about these things after the event will be enough to induce roughly the same amount of fear response in the body that actually took place when the event happened. So for instance, the hunter is going to feel just as terrified and scared thinking about what happened when they were attacked by the bear as they were when they were actually attacked. And that is how anxiety works. Replace the food source with a cell phone and the bear with an extremely cluttered space. The modern person begins to unconsciously assign an air of fear to any event or object associated with the event. So anytime someone begins to lose something or you've misplaced something, the fear of not having that thing will be enough to send you into a full-fledged state of panic and anxiety and fear, just even recalling the action of the original fearful source. And it's dangerous because fear can lead to anxiety, and anxiety can lead to just blatant avoidance. The perpetual sensation of anxiety when faced with a source of fear leads to a total avoidance of the source, as well as, I will say again, what I believe, an abstract interpretation of the source of the fear are then applied. So again, for instance, the thunder example with the gods bowling. Understanding kind of the necessity for fear, I'm really just curious to see where our fear comes from in the modern day and to see if it's actually, be I do think it's just being utilized like any other tool, like any other marketing tool. I think fear is being used to solidify abstract concepts. It's easy to see historical examples of this. For instance, Hitler used fear to instill an illogical idea in a population to try and justify and allow one of the worst atrocities in human history. This same idea, the same concept of using fear as a motivator for people, 
was also used after the Second World War, this time by the Western countries in their efforts to distill and remove the potential threat of communism. Anyone who who was around during the Cold War era still feels the impact of the ideas and ideals that were being put out by our government and and there's a general distaste and a general dissent towards any communist agenda still to this day. Obviously, the best modern example I can think of uh, and it kind of touches on something I talked about in the first podcast is our war on terror. Now, this really reached peak national interest, I believe, after the 9-11 tragedy, um, which was 15 years ago at this point. And we are still dedicated primarily, so heavily invested financially, emotionally, in this war on terror that it continues to wreak havoc. The wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria have all been justified on the basis of fear. In Iraq, it was the weapons of mass destruction. In Afghanistan, it was Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. And in Syria, now we have ISIS. So for 15 years, we have supported this effort with our own tax dollars in an effort to try to remove the forces of fear in foreign countries. What I think has resulted is just a visible increase in the tension of an us-versus-them mentality based on ideas of fear. After the tragic events of 9-11, there was a national sense of fear that was immediately used and capitalized by the United States government. It was They were able to implant, using fear, an abstract idea into the national psyche that still exists. That Muslim in Islamic culture has become directly associated with violent acts of extremism that induce fear. The association of Muslims and terrorism is something that has had such grandiose impact on our ways of life, be it airplane travel, the media we receive, anything this is all based off of a general idea of fear, which was then used to apply abstract and illogical concepts to something that we didn't necessarily understand. This subtle idea has led to widespread discrimination. For instance, even here in Peterborough, the, the discrimination against the Muslim community was rampant, we saw, after some local asshole decided to burn down our local mosque. Even our, our old Prime Minister Stephen Harper was aiming to try to ban the niqab during the last election, and even just the question of Obama's birth certificate a couple years ago is just perfect examples of of how this subtle idea of fear and the abstract concepts that come with it still resonate and hold great sway. It's, it's scary to know that the U.S. movement in Afghanistan is still so heavily supported, not only because they are killing children and women and innocent bystanders to this war daily with their drone strikes that have allegedly a 90% failure rate. It's just, this, this movement can continue to exist so long as events of extremism, for instance, like any terrorist attack in the last five years are used to justify the, the, this attack against foreign cultures. A question that's bugged me and relates to this is, is why is the United States 
in foreign countries trying to prevent extremism when they simply can't keep their own citizens safe from it. And I really do think this just results from a long and subtle effort to associate our enemies with fear and avoiding the true source of fear, which at this point I think is the government. And again, but that's just done by directing the national attention to foreign conflicts instead of the conflicts that we are dealing here on our own soil. The true war on terror has yet to start, but is absolutely necessary, and we need to launch it against those who perpetuate fear. Those are, that's the government. That's the police officers that we're scared to talk to. That's the extremists who do crazy shit like what they did in Dallas. The police should make us feel safe, and we should be able to make the police feel safe, and we all need to be able to keep each other safe when any terror-causing event occurs. Whether it's Dallas, France, Orlando, or Turkey, or whatever, we have a choice. Promoting the very module that has allowed so much evil, from Hitler to Stalin to Bush to Trump, to succeed as much as they have, or removing the greatest influence these evil, wretched people have over us and have thrived for so long on. Fear is being used by the elite class to influence opinion and promote illogical and abstract ideas. Look, we're not going to get rid of it. We're always going to be scared of something. But just like everything else, let's be aware of why. And that'll pretty much do it for us this week here at The Chronicle. Again, I'm Colin Chapika, and thanks everybody for listening. I do sincerely appreciate it, and I appreciate the patience last week. Um, I was feeling a little discouraged, I think just in general, and I think it was just a general wave of drowsiness and fatigue like I was talking about earlier. Um, and I was, of course, questioning everything and being the anxious mind that I've got. I was wondering whether or not if I'd be motivated enough to put out a quality podcast, but I was hesitant to do another one, and then I started doing it, ran into some technical difficulties, got a little frustrated, but all in all, I absolutely love doing this. It's, it's a great way for me to stay engaged and keep my mind moving and active and learn about the stuff that I should be. It's a great catalyst for me. It gives me a reason to look stuff up. Way Home is this weekend, and that's where I'll be, so if you're heading there as well, hopefully we'll have some fun together and let me know that you listen to this one. Um, it's going to be really, really, really fucking hot tomorrow and for the rest of the week, so please, if you're going to any music festival, spending any time outside, be safe, stay hydrated, and try not to drink past noon. That's my own rule. You don't have to follow that but I would suggest it. Um, I'm going to leave you with a track, for, again, from one of my old bands, uh, The CNC. This track was recorded with Liam Devlin. Um, it's one of the most catchy songs I think I've ever written, and it was the first song I ever recorded. So, to leave the chronicle off this week, we have We Will Never Know by The CNC. Thanks, everybody.